0: Greetings, and welcome to etzheim 's weekly podcast, recorded live in Richardson, Texas. We invite you now to join us for one of our synagogue's Shabbat messages. Shabbat shalom. Before we start the message, we, have, uh, we turn the lights down because we have a little uh, opening song that goes with the theme of today, which is uh, training and discipling and disciplining our children. So we're going to turn the lights down, and we're going to play this little... Uh, hopefully humorous uh, clip uh, from uh, the video. We can have uh, have the lights. What about John Mayer, man? He's going to have kids someday in the car. (laughs) I think he might write this song. You better quit all that complaining. Don't wanna hear another sound If I hear anymore whining I'm gonna turn the car around You got a little television And you had enough to eat If you don't change your disposition I'm gonna leave you on the street So I'm waiting For your attitude to change I keep on waiting For your attitude to change you say that I ain't fair, I guess that will matter if I care the you don't ready to, turn to change <laughs> All right. Well hopefully that, that put us in the mood for uh, the message. Can we'll put the lights back up and I'd like to so Shabbat shalom. And uh, we're in a series on marriage and the family. Uh, Today is part four. Uh, In parts one to three, we looked at uh, love and marriage and the role of a godly husband and wife uh, and when a young man is ready for marriage. Today, I want to turn to training and raising godly children uh, and discipling and disciplining them. And our text today is Ephesians 6, 1 to 4. So turn with me to Ephesians 6, verses 1 to 4 in the overhead as well. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that so you may live long on the earth. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Today, I want us to look at three phases of As your children grow, three phases or stages in this discipleship and discipline process based on this passage here in Ephesians 6. I'll put on the overhead. The first phase is what I'm going to call the discipline and training phase. The second phase I'm going to call the catechism phase. And the third phase, the discipleship phase. I want you to note there is no hard and fast time when each of these phases begins. Uh, and when a new one begins, the old one does not end. Uh, they overlap. Uh, but, so the, fir- the first phase, this discipleship and training phase, it's especially important the first several years of a child's life. As I'm going to say especially ages 1 to 5. Uh, and, then, and then are we then done with discipleship and training when they turn 5? No, uh, not at all. Uh, but this is the most crucial. But It's most crucial during these first five years. The catechism phase begins when a child becomes verbal, uh, learns to talk. Uh, it differs with each child, but generally starts around eight, between ages uh, three and four, uh, and goes all the way through bar or bat mitzvah age. And then the last phase, the discipleship phase, starts when they were in grade school between, eight, grade, between third and sixth grade, and lasts until they leave home. Uh, So in this first phase, we'll put the overhead, this discipleship and training phase, what are we saying to our children? We're saying, child, give me your attention. That's it. The first few years of of life, nothing is more important than to say, give me your undivided attention. Uh, You know, in the animal kingdoms, uh, in the animal kingdom, uh, baby animals, they're up and walking within minutes uh, of being born. Human babies, not so much. They're utterly dependent on us. They're parents. So we pay much more attention to that baby than that baby does to us. But at some point in the first few years, that must change. And we must communicate to that child as lovingly as we can. You must start paying a lot more attention to us than we do to you. Parents, if you don't do that, you will end up raising egocentric, narcissistic, spoiled beasts <laughs> turn with me to first samuel 3 verse 10 first samuel 3 verses 10 to 14 the lord stood the lord came and stood and called out at other at other times shmuel shmuel samuel samuel and samuel said speak for your servants listening and the lord said to samuel behold i'm about to do a thing in israel which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle Because in that day I will carry out against Eli all I've spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I've told him that I'm about to judge his house forever. Why? For the iniquity which he knew because his sons blasphemed the Lord and he did not rebuke them. Therefore I've sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. What an intense, uh, tragic, scary passage. God judged Eli for not reproving and disciplining and restraining his sinful sons. John Wesley, about this passage on the overhead, John Wesley wrote this. uh, Those in authority will have a great deal to answer for if the sword they bear be not a terror to evildoers. In essence, if you're in authority over your children and you let them get away with blatant sin and rebellion and evil doing, God deems you the accomplice. And the blood is also on your hands. Now, we don't like this, do we? We don't normally want to think that God will hold us responsible as parents if we fail to discipline and restrain our children. Instead, our natural tendency today is to say, oh, come on, kids will be kids. Uh, they've got their own minds. They're going to do whatever they want to do. And certainly we can't be held accountable for that. And, and God will hold us accountable for the sins of our children, right? Now, here's what's interesting. If we take those same comments, that, that same uh, mindset, and that same mentality, and apply it to a police officer, you have no problem holding him accountable. So let's say, for example, uh, there's an old woman... Outside, some thug is hitting her and ripping her purse from her arms. She's screaming for help. We all rush to the window to see some guy kicking here and punching her. And then we notice there's a police officer 50 feet away who's standing there the whole time watching the whole thing. And our immediate response is what? You had the gun. You had the badge. You had the authority. You had the responsibility And you did nothing. You're in in dereliction of your duty. You'll be held accountable. Yes. And that's exactly what God is saying to Eli. You had the charge as the parent, as the father, and you did nothing. Now, yes, of course, our children are still responsible for their own sin. But it's our job as parents to restrain them from evil. And just as the policeman, maybe he can't change the heart of the criminal, but he nonetheless is called to restrain and prevent the criminal from committing crimes. In the same way, that's your and my responsibility as parents to restrain our children from sin whenever we're able. Eli was in sin for failing to do so, and God judged him. Now listen to Jonathan Edwards. He he comments on the same passage, and he writes this on the overhead. If you say you cannot restrain your children, this is no excuse, for it's a sign that you've brought up your children without government, that your children regard not your authority. When parents lose their government over their children, their reproofs and counsel signify but little. How many parents are there who are exceedingly faulty On this account, how few are there who are thorough in maintaining proper order and government in their families? And thus, how many are as likely to bring a curse on their families just as Eli did? This is the foundation of so much debauchery and corruption among our nation's youth. Parents bring the guilt of their children's sins upon their own souls, and the blood of their children will be required. At their hands. Wow. Don't these godly rebukes sting us? As we consider the lesson of Eli. The Lord is warning us. We as parents are accountable. For how we raise our children. And when they do wrong. We dare not stand idly by. Eli's sons were guilty. And the Lord dealt with them. But note that Eli was guilty too. And the Lord judged him for failure to discipline and train and rebuke his sons. Note that both Eli and his sons were disobedient to the Lord. So it's not enough for us to say, well, you know, boys will we boys. That's just the way that they are. No. So in this first phase of child rearing, we're instilling basic foundations of discipline and training. Ephesians 6, verse 1 Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for that is right. Children, do what you're told. I'll put that on the overhead. If The child doesn't do what they're told. They're violating Ephesians 6.1, and they're being disobedient, which is sin. Uh, Second, uh, on the overhead, if we want our children to do what they're told, we we also want our children to to do what they're told when they're told. If if you tell your child uh, to do something, and he, doesn't do it, and, and he doesn't do what he's told when you tell him to do it, but instead he waits until he feels like doing it, that's delayed obedience, right? And there's a very technical word in the Bible for delayed obedience. It's called disobedience. <laughs> now, don't do what I did. I used to inadvertently train my children to sin. Wow, I taught them inadvertently delayed obedience. How do you teach your children delayed obedience? One way is to tell them over and over and over again. If I tell my child over and over again, then I'm telling them, you don't really have to obey me when I say it. You just have to obey me eventually when I say it four or five times. So in repeating myself to my children over and over again, I was training them in sin. Parents, do not do that. If you tell your child to do something and he doesn't do it the very first time you ask, there should be an immediate consequence. Otherwise, you're coaching your kids to be disobedient, which is another way of saying you're coaching your kids to sin. Third, I'm going to put this on the overhead. Our truly must be taught to do what they're told, when they're told, and then thirdly, to do it with a respectful attitude. Look at the next verse, Ephesians 6, 2. Honor your father and mother. Honor them, which is the first commandment with a promise. So if I tell my child to do something, and he does it, and even does it when I tell him, but he does it defiantly uh, with a nasty attitude, Uh, maybe with, with wagging of the head or rolling his eyes, clucking his tongue, stopping his feet, slamming the door, he's violated this, this, this commandment. Uh, he's violated Ephesians 6, two, and he's violated the fifth commandment of honor your father and mother. He's not honoring his father and his mother. And it's a sinful response, and it's unacceptable. And it needs to be corrected. If you allow your children this kind of reluctant, disrespectful, pseudo-obedience, whereby they do it but they roll their eyes and they sigh and they they cluck their tongues and smack their lips and slam the door, you're allowing them to violate the fifth commandment and dishonor their parents. If you do not immediately address and correct this, this bad attitude, you're coaching them in sin. This nasty attitude of the child that's simply not acceptable. And if you're not correcting it, you're training them deeper and deeper into sin. So we need to catch it early on and instill these proper attitudes and responses in our children from a very early age. That's what we're shooting for in these first few phase one formative years uh, of discipline and training, uh, these, these first four or five years of their life. Now, interestingly, we've got all sorts of, in these first few years of their life, we also have all, in the secular world, of all sorts of these interesting educational programs of the things they call, like, Baby Einstein programs, right, and curriculum out there that claim to guarantee your child will be a fluent reader uh, and doing math uh, by age three. But do you know what? It's much more important, I'll put this on the overhead, it's much more important that your children be taught by age three to, number one, do what they're told, number two, when they're told, And number three, with a respectful attitude. Much more eternally important. We must teach our children to obey. And you really can't move on to the next stage of teaching your children the Bible until you've got this first phase down. Why? Because it's very hard to teach a disobedient child. And we want our children ultimately to give us their hearts, not just mere outward external obedience. So we minister to their hearts as a Messiah is formed within them. Our goal is not to impress our fellow fellow shul members uh, with how obedient our children are. Our goal is for them to come to know the Lord and live for the Lord and walk with the Lord. All the days of their life. And as parents, we represent God's authority in their life. So it's important that we communicate and explain to our children the importance of obedience. On the overhead. And it's also very important that we avoid inconsistency. So, for example, mom can't have one standard uh, of obedience uh, and dad have another. That only sends mixed signals, mixed messages to the child that undermines the parent's authority. Or how about the inconsistency of when we're at home, we have one standard. But when we're out in front of other people, we don't want to be embarrassed, we have another standard. That's inconsistency. That's inconsistency. And it confuses the child. Second thing to avoid on the overhead, avoid anger. James 1, verse 20. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Parents, avoid using anger as a tool against your children. You don't want your children to obey you because they fear you. You want them to obey you because they love and honor and respect you and the position that God has placed you in as the human authority over them. So avoid anger. Avoid yelling at your kids. James 1.20, again, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And fathers, when you resort to yelling at your kids in order to get them to obey you, you're teaching them to respond to your yelling, which means, number one, you're teaching them, you you don't have to do what I do when I say it. You only have to do what what I do when I lose my temper, Uh, and use all three of your names (laughs) and scream and yell at you. Uh, So you're teaching them disobedience. And number two, if you yell, it also means that if your wife doesn't yell and scream, you're teaching your kids to ignore her. And of course, the same is true vice versa. If the wife is the yeller, uh, she's indirectly teaching her kids to ignore their father if he doesn't yell. So yelling undermines the authority of the non-yelling parent. So don't try to enforce your authority or compel obedience through anger or yelling. You won't win your children's hearts that way. Anger does not do that. Yelling does not do that. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. If you're using anger as a tool, you're not trusting God. Number three on the overhead. The third thing, avoid contradiction. Contradiction, like scream, scream at your child, now oh, you be kind to your brother. <laughs> or, or how about this contradiction? Johnny, put down that toy. One, two, three. That's contradiction. Remember we said earlier there's a special Greek word for delayed obedience in the Bible? It's called disobedience. <laughs> so if I tell Johnny to do something... And then I count, one, two, I'm teaching Johnny, you don't really have to do what I say when I say it, but somewhere between when I say it and, and when I count to three. <laughs> so in essence, what I'm doing is this, I'm saying, Johnny, Daddy wants to teach you something. Daddy wants to teach you a thing called delayed obedience, which stated another way, Daddy wants to teach you how to sin. <laughs> so here goes, Johnny put that down, one, Two, three. What am I doing? I'm coaching Johnny to sin. I'm flexing his sin muscles by teaching him delayed obedience by me counting before I expect actual obedience. Or by repeating myself over and over again before insisting on on actual compliance. Now repeating yourself may be okay if he really didn't hear you. Well, how do I know he heard me? Here's a test. You tell Johnny to do something. He doesn't do it. You start walking towards Johnny with the rod of correction. (laughs) Johnny will either, number one, go and immediately do what he heard you say the first time, in which case he's busted, (laughs) or two, he'll say, what did I do, what did I do, in which case he earns you repeating the request a second time. Now, employ encouragement with your child. There's a beautiful grace the Lord gives to children. And it's, it's this innate desire they have to please you. It's that thing in them that, that lights up when you put the drawing they did up on the refrigerator. Or the, that thing in them that, that smiles so big when you praise them. That's God's grace. Or by, by deepening deep your child's heart, he wants to please you. Encourage that natural instinct of a young child for his parent. Uh, to want to please them That is God's grace in your home and family Second uh, On the overhead Not only encourage but also instruct your children Very very important Imagine it's the first day of practice At junior high uh, basketball uh, team First day of practice The coach comes in coach says okay guys I want you all to run a full court press Ready go do it let's go Come on let's do it Nobody even sits What's wrong with you Why are you just standing there? Okay, everybody, laps, punishment. So start doing laps. (laughs) What's the problem? Well, coach, you said it's the first day of practice. You haven't taught us what a full-court press even is. And now you're punishing us for now doing something that you never taught us to do. Now, let's not be too hard on this coach, because most of us parents are just as bad. Most parents who say, for example, Johnny share, have never taken even 15 minutes to teach Johnny how to share. They've never sat down with Johnny and Susie and Mikey and said, okay, we're going to play the sharing game. We're going to learn how to share. Ben is going to have a toy. Betty's going to give the toy to Mikey to play with. And we rejoice with one another because we're members of one another in Messiah Yeshua. We're all part of his body. We're all happy that Mikey gets to play with it. And then Mikey's going to give it to Susie. And we're all going to rejoice together that Susie gets to play with the toy. That's called sharing. We're going to share our toys, and it's a good thing to share. Be happy when you get to share and bring joy to somebody else. So we all delight with Susie as now she gets her turn to play with the toy. That's called sharing. Now notice that only am I instructing my children by showing them exactly what I want them to do but I'm also at this very same time teaching them biblical principles. So I'm showing them what I want them to do. I'm showing them what sharing is and how it's biblical. You will be shocked how many parents do not actually instruct their children in these basic life principles, these basic biblical principles. You'd be surprised how many parents never sit down with their children and say, okay, for example, we're going to now practice greeting, how to greet someone at school." Uh, what do we do when we greet someone? We stand up, we face them, we look them in the eye, we smile, we reach out our hand, we say hello, we shake their hand, we shake it firmly, not like a dead fish, (laughs) and we practice how to greet. And then we encourage and affirm and praise our kids each step of the way as they learn. And we had them practice it over and over and over again at home, And work out the bugs. Okay, son, let's do it again. Let's do it again. Practice, role play, uh, encouraging them each step of the way. And all of a sudden, this shy kid who who runs away from the rabbi when the rabbi says hi to him, uh, or likes to hide behind the parent's leg when you meet and greet other people, all of a sudden he now comes to shul the next day, and he looks up and says, "Daddy, can we do it? Uh, Here comes somebody. Can, Can we greet them?" And they walk up and they smile and your kid extends his hand for the first time and greets somebody. Uh, The very same person last week they were scared to talk to. And what are they doing? They're recalling what you taught them. And they're applying it now to real life. This is awesome. Now, Now once you've number one encouraged and number two instructed your children, what happens when they sometimes rebel? You then employ number three. Number one th- overhead. Number three is correction. Let's put it in English. Please spank your children. <laughs> Pro- 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 Proverbs, t- Proverbs twenty-two, fifteen. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline, we move it from him. Here's what John Wesley says on the topic. We we'll put this on the overhead. John Wesley. Do not neglect to discipline and spank your children unless you suppose yourself wiser than Solomon, or more properly, wiser than God. For it's God Himself who tells us Proverbs 13:24, "He who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. So chasten your son while there's still hope, and not your soul spare for his crying. Mothers and fathers, spank your children when they rebel and are defiant. Now, we don't like hearing that, do we? Let's be honest. Especially today in our very permissive society. Why don't we like this? Uh, Three reasons, a couple of reasons. Number one, the overhead. The one reason we don't like this is because we mistakenly believe our children will love us more if we don't spank them. But the opposite is true. If you do not spank your children, they will grow up to despise you. They will grow up to be spoiled brats and will not respect you. Number two in the overhead. We tend to believe Dr. Spock and Dr. Phil and Dr. Oprah more than we believe Dr. Yeshua. <laughs> Yeshua is the word made flesh, and the word of God says this again, Proverbs twenty-two, fifteen. 15. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, and the right of correction will drive it Far from him. Now imagine your child is bitten by a snake. You rush, her, you rush her, to the, your little girl, to the hospital. And the doctor brings out this shot to administer the, anti, the anti-venom. And you look at this long needle and you say, Wait a minute. Don't stick that needle in my baby. It'll hurt her. She'll cry. And the doctor says, There's poisonous snake venom in your child. If I don't give her this shot, she will die. Uh, yeah, yes, uh, but I love my child, uh, and therefore I don't want you to inflict pain on her. Uh, so I can't, let her, you, I can't let you stick her with that needle. Now, no parent would ever say that, right? But we parents do it spiritually all the time on the overhead because God says there's venom in the soul of your child, and the anti-venom is the rod of correction. Oh, but I love my child so much, I could never do that. Well, then you're letting your child live with slow-killing poison within them. Rebellion is poison. Parents, if you love them, please correct them. Correct your children. Thirdly, on the overhead, number three. Third reason we don't like to talk about, about spanking is because of the abuse that's out there. And there are children who are abused. Yes, Definitely. Do not abuse your children. But we cannot throw the baby out with the bathwater. They need to be disciplined from time to time. Uh, you know, there are people, you know, by, by the way, for example, there are people who abuse the internet. Does that mean you should never use a computer? There are people who abuse work. They're called workaholics. Does that mean you shouldn't have a job? Now, ironically, in many cases, this is interesting, the people who abuse children are actually the people who don't spank enough. What do I mean? Here's an example. Mom's home with little Johnny and Susie. Johnny's especially rowdy today, and he's difficult. Mom's frustration meter starts to go up a little bit. We're at the breakfast table. Johnny's not being obedient. Johnny throws a tantrum. Mommy's frustration meter goes up a little bit more. Johnny's supposed to then sit down and do homeschool. Johnny doesn't want to do homeschool. He wants to do what he wants to do. Mom gives in. Mom gets a little bit more frustrated. Nap time comes. Johnny doesn't want to take a nap. Mom argues with Johnny back and forth. Her frustration meter is now going off the charts. Now Susie decides she wants to join in. Mom's frustration meter is going crazy. They finally go down for a nap. Afterwards, Johnny does one more thing, and Mom explodes. She wails on him in anger and frustration and abuses the child. All because she refused to give him the spankings he should have gotten earlier in the day. Where she was still under control. Where she could have brought the scriptures to bear. Showed him his sin. Reminded him of of the God who loves him. And therefore gave him parents who would correct him. And remind him of Yeshua who had to die because of sins like his that he has committed. That ultimately he needs Yeshua's forgiveness. That's what mom should have done. Using everyday occurrences as occasions to teach the scriptures and instill biblical principles and preach the gospel to her children. And if she had done this now, done done that throughout the day, nipping it in the bud, lovingly applying the rod of correction, Johnny could have been properly instructed and corrected and disciplined and discipled. But she didn't. She spared the rod, and then she got so angry and frustrated, she finally exploded, and she beat the child. Now he's confused. Now she feels guilty, and guess what? It'll be that much longer before she ever dares spank him again, and when she does, she'll be totally out of control, thus repeating the dysfunctional, unbiblical cycle. But the more committed you are to dealing with problems regularly as they occur in real time through active parenting, including discipline when necessary, and always using it as a teaching moment to instill and apply biblical principles and build biblical character in your child, doing it in love and not in anger, the more you'll be raising God-honoring children who love the Lord and are less prone to rebel and defy and be much better adjusted, and happy, and productive children. And correction should always end in reconciliation. It should always end in reconciliation. It should end with a disobedient child repenting, and asking for forgiveness with sincerity, and humility, and a contrite heart, and with the parent forgiving, and reconciling with the child, and embracing them, and affirming them. And once it's over, it's over. You need, you, we need to reconcile and move on. So let me summarize now this first phase of child-rearing, what I call the, the discipline and, and correction phase of the first several years of a child's life. We need to teach our children to do what they're told, when they're told, with a respectful attitude. So let's say they're in their terrible twos. Johnny, come here. No! Oh, why aren't they so cute at that age? No, that was sin! And if you don't correct it, you're counseling them, you're coaching them to be sinful. If you say, well, because of the phase of life you're in, I don't really expect you to do what I say when I say with a respectful attitude. What you're saying is that God is a liar because God commands children to honor and obey their parents. Now, after this first uh, discipline phase, the overhead, we get to the second phase, what I'm calling the catechism phase. In the first discipline and training phase, we say, give me your attention. Uh, In the catechism phase, we say, give me your mind. Now that I have your attention, listen to me. There are some things I want to teach you. Ephesians 6, verse 4. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but do what? Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Fathers, that means you are to teach your children what to believe uh, and and, and why to believe it. This begins when when they become verbal, uh, when they learn how to talk. You know, tragically, in America today, we see thousands and tens of thousands of young people active in church, active in school, who go off to university and lose and reject and jettison their faith. And so a lot of parents and, and a lot of youth groups I'm now doing worldview and apologetics training when the kids are 17 or 18 years old to prepare them for college for how to defend their faith. So what what are we doing? Uh, You teach them what to believe and why to believe right before you send them off to the slaughter. (laughs) But this is far too little, far too late. You should be teaching them what to believe and why to believe when they first become verbal, not when they're 17 or 18. Tragically, we no longer catechize our kids. We no longer teach them apologetics at an early age. But what does 1 Peter 3.15 say? Always be ready to give a reason or make a defense to everyone who asks uh, for you to give an account for the hope that's in you with gentleness and reverence. The Greek word here for for, to give a reason or to, to make a defense is the word uh, apologia, ap- ap- um, apologia where We get our word apologetics from So what is apologetics on the overhead Apologetics is knowing what you believe And why you believe it And then being able to communicate it effectively to others That's the definition of apologetics So when people ask you the reason for the hope that's in you You can effectively respond and, and defend your faith That's ultimately what, what catechism is all about let me put something on of the overhead. Catechism is learning what you believe through a series of questions and answers. And it's the way believers, believers taught their children for thousands of years up until very recent times, and today we've, we've lost it. So, apologetics training isn't something you do uh, for a month uh, uh, to, you, to your 17 year old before you send them off uh, to university. It's what you do with your children from about ages 3 to 18. You teach them what to believe and why to believe it. It's done primarily through Scripture memory. you children truly need to memorize the Scriptures. Psalm 119.11, Thy word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Do you believe that? If you really believe that, you will make Scripture memory a priority for your children, something they work on daily. Another way to a great way to instill truths of the gospel uh, in your children, and we don't, we might not think of this as messianic, but another great way is to sing, singing the great hymns of the faith in your family devotions, which means, by the way, hint hint, you need to be having family devotions. <laughs> you will be amazed at the actual depths of Scripture truths in the classic hymns of people like Charles Wesley, uh, John Newton, Amy Carmichael, Fanny Crosby, Isaac Watts. Now, they they aren't expressly messianic, uh, but these basic gospel truths are spelled out in great depth uh, and beauty. And they're easy to learn through song. Uh, There are also formal catechisms out there you could use for your children, such as the the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Uh, Again, you can have to adapt uh, and modify it for our messianic Jewish faith. But it's a good starting point, so you don't have to uh, reinvent the wheel. Now, a typical objection I hear is this. Well, these classic catechisms, they're just rote memory, aren't they? I don't want to cram that down my child's throat. Well, don't your children learn their ABCs through rote memory? Don't they learn their multiplication tables through rote memory? And don't you teach them how to, how to read and write and, how, and, and require them to be schooled every day? You cram school down their throat, don't you? With no, with no problem, <laughs> to, use your, to use your words. But so how come when it comes to God... We're afraid of of memorization and required learning. But when it comes to everything else, we're fine with it. Why is that? Yes, of course your children need to have their own personal relationship with the Lord. But inculcate within them these basic truths in the face at an early age. We're commanded to train up our children in the way they should go. Look at Deuteronomy 6, verse 7. Teach them diligently to your children. Talk of it. When you sit in your home, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, introduce the truths of the Bible early on. Your children learn far more at a far earlier age than you ever give them credit for, than you ever think they can. Do not underestimate their ability. Last phase on the overhead, the discipleship phase. So the first phase is is give me your attention. The second phase is give me your mind. The third phase, give me your hand. This is where, parents, you're walking together with your children. You're teaching them to live out what they believe. And the overhead, uh, and you should be teaching them this throughout there, th- uh, through the, through, teaching them this through, through what I'm going to call life-on-life uh, interaction. This is the ultimate goal of educating and training your sons and daughters. Note, this goes way beyond mere outward obedience. We want, yes, we want children who are obedient, but that's only the first step. We ultimately want not just their outward conformity to rules, and not even just their minds and their intellects. Ultimately, we want their hearts. And on the overhead, all three of these phases work together discipling our children, catechizing, disciplining them catechizing them, and then walking with them as they mature into responsible adults and live out their faith. And depending on the spiritual maturity level of your children, this last phase probably starts as early as Barbarat Mitzvah age, uh, age 12 or 13, and it continues on until they leave home. So on the overhead, you say to them, you've given me your attention, you've given me your mind, now give me your hand. That as a walk with the Lord together, and apply life's principles. And I will show you through life-on-life interaction how to walk out these biblical truths. Parents, from ages 13 to 18, this is when you must maximize your time with your kids. So avoid shipping them off somewhere else during this crucial time of ages 13 to 18. Do not ship them off to government schools or endless sports team practices, or, or, or interminable dance or gymnastics or, or other lessons. And don't let them spend all their time hanging out with their peers or hanging out alone in their room playing video games. They need to be with you and with their siblings. It's amazing how in, today in the typical American family, teens are hardly even part of the family anymore uh, in terms of time actually spent together. The typical American home is more like an apartment complex with each person living in their own separate apartment unit. This ought not to be. Your teens need to be trained and socialized by you and by other godly people and not running around nonstop with packs of their peers. And all you wonderful homeschool families out here, do not stop homeschooling them when they reach high school. Because that's the most crucial phase of all. That's the give me your hand phase. That's the walk with me. I'll show you how to live out what I've taught you phase. You know, in America, people who homeschool, the majority of them stop when the kids reach high school. And they took a survey and they asked why this happens. And the most common answer that parents give why they cease homeschooling at a later age is this, sports. That's the answer parents give. I want Susie in cheerleading. I want Johnny in the football or the basketball team. Because somehow we bought the lie and believe that this is the, the, the crucial life-altering experience of being on these teams that all of our children have to have. Well, Washington and Adams and Jefferson and Hamilton and Franklin and Lincoln weren't on the football team or the basketball team. I think they did OK. Parents, if you have the option, do not subject your kids to government schools. It's not worth it exposing them to to, to the lies of the liberal classroom and the moral filth of their peer group in in that social environment. And and that leads to the next point. Avoid discipleship by proxy. On the overhead. The shul and junior Shabbat uh, and the youth ministry... They're here as a means to come alongside of and support you. They are not meant to replace your primary discipleship role and responsibility as parents. We only have your kids for an hour to a week. Their primary instruction in discipleship is meant to be and must be at home. You know, we have amazing children's teachers here and amazing youth leaders but they're only there to supplement what you do as parents. If the only spiritual instruction your kids get is one hour a week at school, you are failing your job as parents. Avoid discipleship by proxy. Number three on the overhead. Avoid what I'm going to call, I'm going to probably get in trouble here, but I'm going to say it anyways, avoid what I'm going to call gender confusion. What do I mean? It's important for young men to be with men and young women to be with women. Now, I hate to say this, but I've noticed far too often, sometimes in the homeschool movement, when, when the homeschools are run almost exclusively by the mothers, they tend to breed effeminate boys. Boys who can't stand up for themselves, or can't stand up for others, or survive on their own in the real world. Boys whose dads are hardly involved, or the dad's only involvement in the homeschool is picking the curriculum each year for their kids, that's a problem. Boys who are being disciplined only by their mothers. But what they really need is strong, godly male influences from their fathers. And if tragically, if there is no father at home, then you, the men of EC, you need to step up and help out as surrogate fathers and godly role models Otherwise, we will continue to raise effeminate boys who will not be strong fathers uh, and husbands, will not be salt and light to the world. The bottom line is this. Boys need their fathers. And teenage boys especially need their fathers. Boys need to be disciplined by godly men. And sometimes... That means that the dads need to be a little bit harder on their sons than the moms would be uh, and, and, and uh, call them up to a new spiritual level. So moms, do not try to prevent this. Uh, don't baby your sons. In the long run, you'll do more harm than good. So when dad is being a little bit demanding and the mom's tendency is to say, oh, don't be so hard on him, he's only a boy, the dad says, that's right, he's just a boy I'm trying to help him become a man. A man who one day will be a husband and a father and the head of his house. And I need to to prepare him for that. I need to prepare him to be the priest and the prophet and the provider and the protector of his future home and family. I need to train him. I need to harden him up a bit and strengthen him in these areas... So that one day he can stand on his own. You homeschool moms are amazing, but boys also need their fathers, and they need other male role models, godly male role models, who teach them things like like physical fitness, uh, how to shoot a gun, uh, maybe maybe hunting or fishing or camping or or working on a car or carpentry or electronics, how to properly treat women how to treat one's elders, how to preach the gospel and share one's faith, how to do a budget, how to balance a checkbook. Dads, I encourage you to be actively involved in the life and training and discipling of your sons, not just by picking the curriculum once a year, but by by doing things like doing chores and hobbies and training and activities together with them, Uh, by sharing life together, Fathers, this is your divine calling from the Lord. Again, the the discipline, the catechism, and the discipleship phases of our children is not just about outward obedience. We're after our children's hearts. We want our children's hearts. We want their hearts to be pliable and soft and teachable. We want them to see their own sin We want to impress upon them their need for Yeshua. That he and he alone is their Redeemer and Savior and Deliverer and God and Messiah and King. We want to show them God's justice and God's mercy. We want to instruct them as we're commanded in Ephesians 6 verse 4. Mothers and fathers, we want to fill up our children with the word of God. And with these great truths of the faith. And then individually grab them each one by one by hand and walk with them and show them the beauties and the excellencies of the Lord. And when we mess up, parents, and we will, let your children see you humble yourself and repent and apologize and ask your children for your for their forgiveness. Your children ultimately learn a lot more by watching you than they'll ever learn from a book. We must be a repentant people, not just to become a Yeshua follower, but to live out as one as well. Let your children see and learn from you, both when you're doing great, parents, and when you mess up. What's it about? on the overhead. It's about give me your hand, my son, my daughter. Let's walk together. Let's see what it looks like when we put our feet to our faith. Now, if your only goal is that your kids are obedient so that you look good at shul and you look good to the outward world, you don't get it. Why do we want obedient children? My son, my daughter, give me your heart. Let your eyes observe my ways. Ultimate, the ultimate obedience is inward, not just outward. It's, give me your heart. And then they say to them, let your eyes observe my ways. Follow me as I follow Messiah. And don't just do what I say, but do what I do as I walk with Yeshua. And when I mess up, don't do what I do. (laughs) Because I am a fallen sinner in need of a Savior too. But whether you're doing well or whether you're falling down, parents, it's all an opportunity for discipleship. That's your calling, parents of that time, as you raise the next generation. Amen, amen. Let's stand and pray. I'd like the music team to come up. <laughs> Hallelujah, Father. We thank you. We thank you today for your word. This word today to mothers and fathers, your amazing, practical, life-giving word. Help us uh, uh, to be the current and the future uh, husbands and wives and mothers and fathers that you, you're calling us today to be. Amen. Help us to, to, to move with godly wisdom through each of these phases of our children's life, each of the stages as they grow and develop. Help us to properly apply your principles from your word, Lord, to the early discipline and training period uh, of giving me your attention, uh, uh, to learn obedience, my son and my daughter, to do what I say when I say it with a respectful attitude, Good, help me to avoid mixed messages and and avoid anger and inconsistency and contradiction, help me to encourage my children and to give uh, them hands-on instruction where where we role-play, and I show them and I practice with them exactly what I expect, help me uh, to to discipline and correct them with love and consistency and with a view towards reconciliation and repentance uh, and forgiveness. Help me then to the next phase, Lord, to teach and catechize my kids. Uh, For them to give me their mind and their intellect. uh, To help help them prepare them to face the outward world. And then finally, Lord, help me to to disciple my kids. uh, As they give me their hand. As we walk together uh, in the later stages. Learning biblical principles to real life experiences. And life on life interactions together. Spending quality time with my kids Having their number one socialization be with their family and not with their peers. And then finally, Lord, work on their hearts. We ultimately want not just their outward obedience, not even just their minds, but their hearts. Hearts soft and pliable towards you, Lord. Towards you, Yeshua. Totally in love with you, Yeshua. For we pray this all in your holy name. Amen. Amen. Shabbat shalom. Shalom. Thank you.